a presentation of the Public Television Network of Alaska. It's important because it's in the village, it's, it's local, and can be helped there before they need to be sent out to Bethel. But they're really the link, they're the patient link from the village to the dock and back again. And they become the facilitator and the communicator so that the patient is getting good health care. Good day to me is uh, thank God that nobody was was really hurt today and had like min minor stuff all day. Major funding for this program was provided by Bethel Broadcasting Incorporated, Bethel, Alaska. Welcome back to In Your Ears for 50 Years. I'm Gabby Salgado. We are over halfway through our summer-long special celebrating 50 years of KYUK. So far, we've looked at how KYUK got started, the impact of bilingual programming, what it's like creating community through radio, and so much more. Catch up on old episodes by visiting kyuk.org. You can also find this show and all KYUK shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and NPR One. This week, we're taking a look at the multimedia team. But what does multimedia mean? This is the department I work in, and I'm still trying to figure it out. When KYUK first started 50 years ago, there was no multimedia department. A year after KYUK was founded, television came along. KYUK produced TV shows like Tundra Terror Theater, Ask an Alaskan, and the live fundraisers. Eventually, television transitioned into video production, where they produced award-winning documentaries like Platinum Dreams and Uncle Sam's Men. Today, we are the multimedia department, and we create a little bit of everything, from Facebook Live shows to Yupik Word of the Week videos to short documentaries about climate change. This week, Multimedia Director Katie Basil sat down with former Program Director Alan Oxier, current Technical Engineer and former Videographer Dean Swope, along with myself, to discuss how the Multimedia Department has changed over the last 50 years. So we're talking with Dean Swope and Alan Oxier here, and for anyone who remembers Alan Oxier, he still has a handlebar mustache. <laughs> for anyone listening, <laughs> and a ponytail. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, they, they are still for sale at a KYUK fundraiser, but I want cash in hand, no pledges. Okay, yeah, I'm Alan Ox here, and I currently live in Soldatna, and uh, 
I really do miss Bethel and the people, but it sure is convenient living here on the road system and so much cheaper too. Yeah. Well, I'm Dean Swope and, uh, I'm, uh, I've lived in Bethel more than half my life now. So I'm from Bethel now, although I've done Oregon, Washington, and California, uh, Bethel is, is home. And I'm Katie Baldwin Basil, and I grew up in Bethel, and I live here today, and I'm the multimedia director at KYUK. Um, Alan, how long were you at KYUK total? Um, actually, working there at KYUK, either employed by KYUK or the community college, I actually I arrived in Bethel on August 22nd, 1975. And I left there permanently um, July 31st, 1996, Mari? So. Six. So 22 days short of 21 years is what I tell everybody. And um, for most of the time I was working for KYUK in, in various capacities, um, either producing things or just being a TV switcher or, you know, radio volunteer, all of those things. So, so 21 years anyway. And Dean, you overlapped with a lot of that time, right? What, what years, what's your history? Well, um, well, I, I first volunteered for KYUK in 1986, I believe. Uh, on radio, uh, but then uh, in 1988, uh, after my first child, my first son was born, uh, I applied for a, a master control switcher, which is basically you're like a DJ for the video, um, but you don't announce. Um, and uh, Alan was the one that hired me, actually. And, uh, and then I worked for a while and then I did a short stint at the college as a media tech. And then um, I came back when a position opened that I was looking for, which was a uh, news video. And then I worked uh, doing news until they moved me over to TV production. And I don't remember what year that was in the early 90s. But in 96, I left for about four years from uh Let's see. I don't even remember when, but it was in 96. And then I came back in 2000 and I've been here since 2000 in various wow. positions after yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and other duties as assigned. Mostly other duties as assigned. Yeah. <laughs> and learn while you earn. <laughs> so while you guys were both here, you worked together, at least some, it sounds like. When you yeah. were kind of planning video content or programming um, television, what kind of things did you keep in mind for your audience? Like what, you know, what were the goals? Maybe Alan, I'll, I'll start with you on that. Okay, well, when, um, again, when, when I first got there, we were still getting um, two inch reel to reel tapes, magnetic tapes from PBS as as part of their bicycle system for uh, providing programs to the far out stations 
I don't think at that time that we were getting any um, commercial programs from the Seattle folks. I'm pretty sure that came in a little bit later. Um, I, I, it, it's hard for me to remember what year, but um, when we got the, the um, satellite dish built, it was kind of an experiment um, by PBS to see if they could deliver satellite programs to the far out stations. And we were about the farthest away and the smallest footprint that they could hit. So that was why KYUK would became the experiment and it worked just fine. And so we got all of our uh, PBS programs from the satellite after that. And somewhere along the line, we kind of decided that we all wanted to have um, some news programs. And so we made a deal with a couple of the um, commercial stations down in Seattle to send us um, three quarter inch cassettes specifically of their news programs when we first started and then other programs as, as it kind of expanded. And so we would show the, uh, the Seattle news programs, but they were about a week late. So we always, we always referred to it as yesterday's news today and uh, put those on and cut out all of the commercials because we were, you know, a public broadcasting station knew we didn't want to show commercials. At some point, the FCC figured out that we were doing that and said, oh, wait, no, you got commercial programs. You can't do it. Well, we're the only um, television station available to, you know, this area about the size of Oregon. And, you know, they don't have any other options. So the FCC gave us a waiver and allowed us to then show commercials. And we became the only public broadcasting station in the country that showed PBS and other commercial stations. And we did that for many, many years. I, I don't even know if it's still going on or not, but it was when I left. <laughs> did, did that answer wow. your question? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. It sounds like you really, you have to think about how remote it, it is and was, and you know, what isn't available out here. Yeah. And now, you know, things have changed. Now we have, um, you know, you can get cable, you can get satellite television, you've got the internet. Uh, you know, we've, we've gone through different phases. Like uh, when I first started, we had to catch recordings off the satellite of every single show that went out on our air, whether we caught it in, on a recording or if we just passed it through the system as a live feed from the satellite. And uh, that was quite a choreographed event. I mean, you really had to know what you're doing at the top of the hour because you had to start a recording and start a, re a playback and, and make sure that the audio are all patched through the right way and the videos are right. You know, you could get things mixed up and you had to hit things on the, on the dot uh, when something starts at, at, at that second. You, you had to push the buttons right, you know. And it was was quite challenging, um, but now it's uh, it's a little different, you know, because computers are coming into play, and you schedule programs that are on hard drives and, and stuff like that. So I have a little comment about that and, and meeting the time exactly um, before we were getting um, the satellite delivery. 
of course, everything was on tape and the starting at seven o'clock for masterpiece theater was a little bit flexible. You know, it might start at seven, it might start at seven Oh five. It might start even a few minutes early, depending on who was running the control board at the time. But yeah, it was, it was a lot more flexible and fluid. And, and, and live television too, from the studios was always a hoot. Now, I've heard of someone, was it Andy Edge that read the news from the recliner chair? He'd read the newspaper on the air. Was that him? Yeah, yeah that was Andy. Um, and uh, he had a lot of different uh, colorful stories about him. <laughs> so yeah. can you describe it? So he would he'd get like an Anchorage newspaper and lean back in a recliner and read it to everybody on, on TV? Well, we did have um, the AP wire feed, which came in and, and we just called it rip and read. So you'd walk through and, and rip off the AP wire feed, go sit out on the, um, the TV studio in the, in the set and just, you know, you'd read one of the paragraphs and look up at the camera and read another one. And, and that, was, that was what we did. Um, Andy was, again, a lot more uh, laid back about it. And uh, he, he sometimes had a hard time pronouncing um, certain words. I remember one of the incidents was that, um, and I can't remember who the famous person was, but they died of a brain uh, hemorrhage. And Andy read it as he died of a brain hemorrhoid. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one of the things that I always really enjoyed about KYUK was our fundraisers when we did them. They were all live and in studio. And not just a bit, cause it's been going on so long. Catch you away, catch you away. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the sixth annual KYUK fundraiser, or should I say the fundraiser. This, uh, all this noise in the background is the crew, and a lot of people are down here to help us this year in our annual, again, sixth annual fundraiser here at KYUK. Now, this year, you may have seen all the promos on TV uh, about waving and catching a wave and, and all these subtropical themes. Well, there's... There's about three or four meanings to that catch a wave, and one of them, of course, is our increase in power here at KYUK. We've gone, KYUK radio has gone from 5,000 to 10,000 watts of broadcast power, so we're covering virtually the entire state with, uh, with lots of fun from here at, K, here at KYUK. You know, sometimes it might last a week, but it was a big community event, and everybody came down there, and the dancers were there, and they'd put on dances, and somebody would bring in a big bunch of a boudic that they would, uh, you know, raffle off. And uh, I raffled off my hair. I raffled off my beard. Um, and I just, I always enjoyed those, those live fundraisers. They were lots of fun. Yeah. I think we even had a board member and dare I mention her name, Joan Hamilton. And, <laughs> and she, she, did a strip tease. Now she had a skin tight, uh, you know, it was like a yoga suit or something, I guess. And, but man, she really hammed it up. It was just hilarious, you know, because anybody that knew her, you know, she was a hoot. Uh, and uh, J.R. Krevins auctioned off his beard one time. Um, 
Yeah, some of those were just amazing. And, uh, and yeah, it was the lights were hot and kids are running up and down the hallways. And, oh, man, it was just and it was packed all the time, you know, but it really was an amazing time. Just a big community party and everybody had fun. And as far as I know, we always reached our goal for fundraising. So, you know, that was always helpful. The other thing that I, I really enjoyed doing was we'd always have a, um, a New Year's Eve special. And it would be comedy skits and singing and dancing and just whatever there was, you know, whatever. Anybody could come down to the station and present something for the, the Saturday or the New Year's Eve special. Welcome to the best of KYUK TV's New Year's Eve specials. In tonight's program, you'll see various acts from the shows produced first by KYUK in 1977 and the following years through 1980. The performers are from Bethel and the surrounding villages. You'll probably see some people you know. We hope you enjoy tonight's show as we begin with New Year's Eve 1977. Take one. Good evening. I'm Alan Oxier, and I will be your host for the first annual KYUK New Year's Special. For the next hour and a half, we will be bringing you a variety of music and comedy as presented by people here in the Delta. Portions of this show were pre-recorded for use in this time zone. And now, without further ado, on with the show! One of them that I very specifically remember um, was Bill Eisenbart who just recently passed away. Um, he was uh, sitting there at a, a table and very intimate lighting candles on the table and fancy dinner plates and everything and just enjoying his romantic dinner. And then the camera pulled back and the and opposite from him was his Jack's the Wonder Dog. <laughs> sitting in the chair so he's having an intimate dinner with with his dog oh my god <laughs> oh yeah the other thing uh, mari just reminded me we did tundra terror theater for a long long time when we after we took over the art or uh, rat net and became arcs that was always a lot of fun too doing the little skits between the 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 acts or you know before the movie and stuff and those those should be around those those are probably recorded it started out. I was wasn't Jerry Brigham the first one uh, that that did those. When we first conceived the idea for Tundra Terror Theater, it was a real departure for KYUK, something we've never tried before. We knew we needed um, a personality not just known locally, but nationally, internationally, and that someone was Clyde and stick this into Bob's neck. All right, take another stick. This time, we're going to hit him right in the brains. Brains, Bob, brains. Amazing. And yeah. uh, he, had a, he had a flavor, you know, I remember the Cajun cab and it was, I think it was your your old Chevy pickup, uh, <laughs> and and uh, 
But, you know, the interesting thing was uh, for a while I was quite active with ham radio. And whenever I would talk to, there were certain people that would uh, know that I was from Alaska and they would say, you know, I was out in Dutch Harbor. I was out on this one place uh, on some base and we used to watch this show called uh, Tundra Terror Theater, you know, and they just loved it wherever they were, you know, and it, it was just these cheap horror films, you know, that would have a few premium <laughs> horror films, but some of them were just awful. But that's what made them so cool, you know, and the, and the skits that went along. I think um, then there was uh, Chuck Bradley was uh, he was a, a host for a while. And I can't remember what his character's name was. And then and then um, Jolie Morgan became Lonesome Lenny. And uh, they all hosted at different times. But. Man, it was a rowdy good time. I, I got to work, even though I was in news, I got to, to work on the uh, set a couple of times as a camera or something with those productions. And it was, it, we had a dedicated set that was the, the house of the host, you know, and it was just, just a hoot. As, what was what was staffing like? Like, what was the department? How many people in the department, the TV department at that time? I'm just kind of curious, reflecting back, because, you know, things really slimmed down at, at one point. Yeah. In probably around 2000. I'm, when I was um, working for the community college and we were producing instructional TV programs there, um, I had, I'm going to say it was nine students for the most part. And then John McDonald was our photographer um, and I, I taught all of the different, the kids, how to run radio and TV stations, how to be switchers and, you know, that kind of stuff. And they weren't, they were students, but they were also volunteers at the station. Um, when the funding ran out for that program, I'm going to say we went from like nine students down to maybe three volunteers. And uh, John and I stayed there working for the station. And then uh, two or three of the kids were volunteering and um, kept on, you know, volunteering over the years. But it, it was always a little bit dependent on how good the oil money was flowing as to how many people were there. Mm -hmm. And I know we got down as low as maybe I'm going to say six or seven total people in the building and then maybe as high as 20. So it, it fluctuated and it fluctuated on a year to year basis. So. Wow. And that was across all departments or was that the TV department specifically? Mostly that TV. The, radio, the radio seemed to be relatively stable um, and, and it didn't take as many people or as much money to run the radio side. So that was one of the reasons that they could be more stable, but um um, and most of the most of the radio DJs were volunteers at the time. Um, I know Peter Twitchell was paid. John Active was paid. But um, again, it, the, the radio side seemed to be relatively stable, but the TV side fluctuated quite a bit over the years. And, and some of it had to do with, you know, do we do live TV shows or do we go out and do productions? You know, the, you know, like what happened up in St. Mary's or, 
the you know going over uh, like honor bound when Mike went over to uh, Iraq with the with the National Guard and those kind of things made a difference in how many people were working in the TV side too. In the early '90s, when I moved from news into video production, we had uh, oh I think there was probably five five or six of us in video production. Um, and, uh, you know, we had people working on different scripts and different projects. And uh, as we moved into the mid nineties, which is when things started to get squeezed down. Um, and then I left in 96, um, you know, it, it, it shrunk down rapidly and, and the, the station went through some hard times between 96 and 2000. Uh, but after 2000, I came back and there was two of us in video production at that point. And that's what we had. We mostly had two people in video production and at times just me alone. And then at one point we had three again when uh, Mike Martz came back. So there was three at the most uh, since 2000 in video production, which makes it pretty hard. Um, you have to have, it takes, it takes a, a strong, well-balanced crew of talent. You know, you have to have uh, complementary talents and, uh, and, it, and it was, it was really interesting but you know it's like we're we're moving into a new generation of stuff and new ways to do things and you know for a long time uh i was i just started doing photography for the news and and graphic arts and different things uh, uh you know through some through some of the leaner times uh but but um yeah now now things are changing and now we've got podcasts and we have uh, the, the, the whole web thing has grown quite a bit, you know, since 2000, um, you know. Talking about video production, when, uh, when I first got there and we were doing any kind of video production, if you did it, on, if you recorded anything on a videotape, in order to edit, you had to cut and tape. Uh, cut and splice the tape together so you cut it with a razor blade and then cut the next thing and then splice it together with tape and that that's a whole lot worse system than what you guys got now every once in a while when we're moving something around uh, one of those one-edged razor blades will show up and i'll say yeah. wow that's a flash fast really <laughs> Yeah, I'm sometimes envious of the the staffing that you all had in this department, you know, decades ago. But I, I wouldn't give up Adobe Premiere Final Cut for a razor blade. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, oh, one thing I, you know, you were talking about the website, Dean, and how 20 years ago it was like, well, I guess we should have a website. And now I just checked our analytics for May, we had 38,000 visitors. So we're like, uh, I think unique users. So that's, that's a huge number. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, I mean, our, our department has changed pretty dramatically. Um, we now have two full-time employees, myself and Gabby, and then we've got a Jesuit volunteer, L. Um, Lachlan. 
and we have an intern two. Well, yeah, one intern this summer. So this is like the most fully staffed we've ever been and kind of been growing it. I've been here about five years now. So um, it is exciting that we're, we're producing more and more content and we really blend, you know, between radio and web and video and um, but we have a long ways to go before we're um, producing in-studio television again, but that is, that is on the table. Um, Gabby, do you have any, do you want to pop in with any thoughts or questions? Yeah, I'll, I'll start with some questions for you, Katie, cause it's kind of on the same train as we move forward into the like modern day technology. Um, you came on at like the height of social media and we were just talking about like how it was TV and you had to get it shipped in and it was film production. You had to slice it with a razor. And now we have 38,000 visitors to our website and we use Facebook to distribute everything. I feel like people go to KYUK through Facebook like 80% of the time. So how do you, how do you think that social media has changed multimedia? Yeah. Um, I think it's it's almost gotten easier. I mean, putting together like a Facebook live show was um, in some ways much what I am much easier than what I would imagine, like an in-studio getting everyone physically together. And this was this is COVID, you know, we're in a pandemic. So to be able to get, you know, um, Richie Deal and Dave Deal up in Antioch and Pete and Ron Kaiser in uh, Bethel and Jeff King and, you know, people from all over the state and all over the country, actually, um, talking to each other and sharing it immediately on Facebook and then having that video recorded so that we can we can play that back on television. So I think in that sense, it's gotten um, you can do you have some creative limitations, but but there's really a lot you can do. Um, another example was, um, you know, we've had the Yupik Word of the Week spot on radio for years that um, John Active and I think Julia, Jimmy had a hand in starting. Um, and when I came on, I thought it would make a great video piece. And so we've done we've done an animated series with kids um, and kind of pulled that. So it's not only radio, but now it's on social media as well. I will say that with social media, Facebook is like the most important um, social media, you know, platform in the YK Delta. And I just don't see it going anywhere. Like you have to be on Facebook to get, you know, news and information to see, you know, if there was a moose in the sand pit or um, what stray dog is running around or who's selling what, or, you know, it's just, it's like a community message board almost. And KYUK gets a lot of um, attraction there. Uh, Instagram is our other successful social media account. We have a lot of users there and we're able to share content. And then the one that we've, the YK Delta has never really latched onto Twitter. I mean, we've, we have a Twitter account. We use it once a year during the K300 and that's pretty much it. Um, maybe there is room there. And then now that we've got more high school interns, there's, um, I feel like we kind of missed the Snapchat era is fading out. And now there's, there's TikTok, which stay tuned. Maybe KYK will have a TikTok account next, but, but yeah, social media, it's, uh, 
it's a, it's a good and bad, <laughs> it's a good and bad thing, but it's, it's definitely been useful for reaching our audience. What has been a project that has stood out to you um, while working in TV or in video production or in multimedia? I feel like we have a, a good group to represent everyone here. Um, Alan, do you want to start? Um, I'm going to, well, I, I think that probably the Tundra Terror theaters were, were the most fun things to do. Um, you know, and, and every one of them, regardless of how bad the movie was, we always had a lot of fun producing the skits that went around the movie. And, and those were the things that, uh, you know, we had a pretty good sized staff and we had the, the TV control, we had TV studio available and, you know, floor cameras and everything else. So it was relatively easy to do. And you just, you know, just use a lot of creative creativity and uh, they were just fun to do. And I really enjoyed them. So I'd say Tundra Chair Theater. That's a, that's a tough one. I mean, I, I, you know, I think that uh, for me, the, the things that stand out the most was uh, doing news coverage, uh, news videography, um, and being able to help uh, get good information out. Because within that, uh, like when Rhonda was here, there was a real outreach. I think that's the right term. It, there was a real outreach uh, program uh, called, they called it Respect the River. And we did some very uh, stirring uh, uh, videos about how tragic and how how tragic it is losing people in the river, uh, drownings, and uh, how important it is to get life jackets available to people and, uh, you know, how senseless sometimes it is to lose people uh, with, with the river. And, uh, and I, man, I, I learned a lot in, in, in that uh, particular one. Um, but then, you know, gee, the, in some of the, some of the video productions that we worked on, uh, in particular, I, I worked with Mike March on a couple of his, uh, documentaries that have been real big, uh, for the station, which was uh, Platinum Dreams and Uncle Sam's Men. Um, and that was very rewarding to me, along with uh, the times that I've got to, uh, and may they both rest in peace, I got to work with Lillian Michaels and John Active, where we actually flew out to villages and interviewed elders. And and uh, I remember when John Active and I went to Atmothluk, and uh, we interviewed, I believe it was 10 or 11 elders. Um, and within a year, there were several of them that had passed away. And so the, the knowledge that they shared, their wisdom, their, their thoughts on things were uh, such a treasure that we were able to capture that and, and add it to the pool of knowledge that can be passed down to people because we captured it. And I, I truly hope that uh, as we move forward, that we don't forget about that. And I'm not saying this because uh, I made 60 this year, but, <laughs> but I'm saying it because 
there is a, a, a missing gap now that we haven't been getting those. And I really, uh, that, that to me is probably one of the greatest things that we blow our horn about, um, in terms of our, our waves of wisdom, which was the elders interviews. And, uh, and that is probably, you know, that that's a proud thing for me. I, I think it was so much fun, especially when I got to hear the translations. Um, I think anytime I can get out to other communities or um, fish camps, or those are the projects that stand out, you know, whether it's, Red Devil or Quinnahawk or um, New Talk really stands out. We've spent a lot of time in New Talk and produced a 12 minute documentary there. We were just rolling it out for screenings when COVID hit. So we haven't gotten that online yet, but by the end of the summer, that should be, it's finished, should be out for the public. So that was one just documenting the um, relocation of New Talk and how you know one third of the village moved over in the fall of 2019 and we were able to be there to film that and and put a story together so yeah anytime I can get out I just love I love the YK Delta I love talking to people and meeting people and um just seeing how every community is so unique Katie what what is your future plans for multimedia as the multimedia director yeah I think we'll see how um the television pans out. In the meantime, uh, I think keeping, you know, our in-school residency program, you pick word of the week going, um, making sure we take care of, I kind of think of it as like past, present, future. So the past is taking care of our video archive, which we're putting a lot of energy into fundraising for and digitizing that and making it accessible. Um, in the present, continuing to uh document what's going on in the region. We just started another little doc project. So I think of like a lot of short, short films that document stories from the region and photo essays whenever we can collaborating with news. And then in the, as far as future goes, I think about our, the youth and making sure that we are raising future media makers who are from the region. And so that we do a lot with our internship program. Um, and that means not only internship, but our, our artists and residency program with Yupik Word of Week and reaching kids when they're really young and kind of giving them a little taste of KYUK and then um, bringing them on through high school. And now we even have a college graduate from who grew up in Bethel interning with us. So, so yeah, I'm just kind of making sure that we're, we're raising the future media makers and that they have a deep connection to the YK Delta and they're able to document and tell those stories. I'm very impressed at how well, again, KYUK is still a force in the community. And with all of the budget cuts and all of the you know, negative feelings out of Juno and everything else, all of those problems, I am amazed and pleased that um, our station still continues and it's going to be my station for as long as I live. So. This episode of in your ears for 50 years was hosted by Katie Basil. Producers for the show are Gabby Salgado and Kristen Hall. 
The theme song for the show was performed by Bethy Whalen, Lisa Whalen, and Andy Angsman of the band Blue Whalen. Join us next week when guest host Steve Heimel sits down with local musicians Ruth Yvonne, Ina Jenkins, Michael Fabienne, and Bobby Gregory to discuss what it was like doing music live at KYUK. 